Before we start this podcast, I want to definitely remind you of a sponsor for Fresh of the Word, 20 by 20 Apparel. Founded in 2015, 20 by 20 Apparel brings original tributes to pro wrestling's classic arenas, moments, and events. They look to spotlight the bloopers, bleeps, and body slams, along with the biggest, smallest, strangest, and strongest. In a world of wrestling where there's hundreds of shirts, promotions, flyers, social media accounts, and ads, don't get lost in the sea of parody shirts and display fonts. They can provide professional graphic design services at a reasonable price. 20 by 20 also hand screen prints all the tees in-house. So if you'd like to discuss a possible run of tees, posters, koozies, foam fingers, or even Zubaz, then drop them a line at 20by20apparel.com. That's the number 20x, the number 20apparel.com. And also check out their enamel pin line. It's super cool. Fresh is the word. I'm Jim Duggan, got long wood for plenty hoes. I keep it fresher than fresh, but you already know. You suckers bummy, I'm money, I got a ton of flows. My weed loud like a motherfucking thunder roll. Your shit quiet like you ballin' on a budget though. We see your kicks and we laugh and yell about it though. You see me shining like a suit on puffy. You know my grindin' shit is too strong, buddy. That's why the dude call money. I be stuntin' like it's nothing at all. Cause it's nothing to me, it's probably something to y'all. Trying to smoke like me, then come and fuck with your dog. Got a closet full of kids, you can't cop it tomorrow. And I'm fresher than the freshest, you can tell it's in my essence. Bitch, you see the way I'm rapping? Yes, I do this shit to death. I tell I'm running out of breath. I tell somebody cut a check. But either way, you know it's fresh. But either way, you know it's fresh. Fresh. We fresh. 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 Welcome to the Fresh of the Word podcast. I'm your host, Kelly K. Fresh Frazier. And this is episode 188. And the guest for this episode is award-winning journalist and media entrepreneur, Catherine Goldstein. In 2017, she created and also hosts the Double Shift podcast, a show that uses storytelling to fundamentally transform how society sees mothers and how we see ourselves in order to achieve greater parity for women in all aspects of society. She's also the creator of the Fuck Mom Guilt World Tour, which promotes and discusses themes from the show with successful sold-out shows in New York City, Durham, North Carolina, and the Bay Area. Now in Season 2 of The Double Shift, the theme is The Revolution Begins at Home and includes six episodes tackling the personal side of working mothers, their home life. During our conversation, we talked about the conception of this double shift and some of the interesting subjects of season one and her vision going into season two. She's currently pregnant with twins. Oh my God. So let's go ahead and congratulate her on that. And she gets into what that means for her and the show in season two of the double shift. There's a lot of good information about motherhood in this episode, and you don't even need to be a parent to learn something from this interview. So let's get on to the interview with Catherine Goldstein of The Double Shift. I came across you, uh, like I told you, from the One Bad Mother podcast, and I, I, just, um, I just loved everything that you were talking about on there. And then I um, checked out your, your podcast, um, The Double Shift. It was, you know, it was pretty easy to get through the first season, um, listening to all the episodes. 
And I was like, wow, she's really, you know, you're, you were talking about your um, journey getting this uh, podcast off the ground, having to deal with people turning you down, saying um, this podcast isn't viable to an audience, blah, blah, blah. And then, like, I was, re- you know, all the episodes were about these things that I don't think people really even realize are a part of some people's motherhood. You know, you had the, you had the, you know, the woman who was, has the 24 hour, uh, childcare in Vegas and then the, the mothers at the brothels. And I was like, wow, this is, this is a lot of like good stuff. You know, like when you were, you know, you're getting into your second uh, season that, um, it just, uh, launched on November 11th. You know, when you were first getting into this, uh, you know, podcast, you know, doing this podcast, what, you know, what was sort of your first idea with it that you wanted to accomplish? So, um, well, thank you for having me on the show and all your kind words about the double shift. I, um, so when I first, uh, I wanted to create a show that basically was, um, I felt like there's a lot of media that is aimed at moms, but it's a lot of tips and tricks and it's a lot of, um, sort of like how to live your life better or, you know, uh, this lunch packing strategy, or you should get up at 5am so you can make your life work. And I really wanted to try to tell really different kinds of stories and very diverse stories of motherhood because And sort of really tap into the identity of being a working mother and not focus on parenting or kids. Um, a lot of times, and, you know, even before the show launched, I would tell people, like, um, I'm creating this show. It's about a new generation of working mothers, and it's not about parenting or kids. And they would kind of look at me and be like, well, if it's not about parenting or kids, then what could it be about? <laughs> and so <laughs> yeah. there's there's such a lack of imagination that mothers have – interests and identities and concerns um, beyond our kids. And I'm much more interested in looking at big public policy issues, you know, issues of discrimination, how we live our lives, how we, um, you know, how being a mother intersects with healthcare and economics and all that stuff. And not, I'm actually not that interested in parenting as an intellectual topic. So, yeah. um, so that's sort of why I wanted to create the double shift and, you know, Fortunately, now that we're in our second season, nobody, when I say it's not about parenting or kids, people understand what I'm talking about. So I've made a little progress in that way. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. And what I got out of it is that, you know, by focusing the show in that way, you actually showed how creative a lot of these women had to be to, to really, you know, get by as being mothers and how working together with other mothers can definitely be can be a plus without thinking about all these life hacks that you know magazines and TV try to you know thrust upon women so it was like really it was really cool to see the like you were you know like you were saying the lack of imagination you know was present but with all these women that you featured and their stories the imagination was like crazy wild yeah, isn't isn't that funny? <laughs> isn't that funny <laughs> that people with power in media think that there's nothing there? Right. And yet the stories are so interesting. Um, so I think that speaks a lot to like who has power in storytelling in media, 
And I just think that there hasn't been enough um, really enough. Basically, you know, I'm a journalist and, you know, journalism is a craft and it takes time and it's expensive to make. And I think that a lot of people haven't really thought that the experience of mothers like really deserves that resource. Yeah. And it's, and it's crazy. I feel like the, the idea of parenting and who does what in a family is so boxed into these norms that like I, I saw this, there was just like this meme recently showing about the, you know, the lack of, of um, baby changing stations in men's rooms. And I, and I saw, and I, and I've seen them before, but I don't see them everywhere. And I feel like with, you know, being a parent, there's these, they, they put all of it into the small box that doesn't even, it's not even, with everything else not even being thought of, that it is kind of crazy. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, what we're, um, so our second season is uh, is really about challenging a lot of those assumptions and how we live our lives and, and gender roles and roles in the home. Um, we have a, a theme for our second season. It's the revolution begins at home. And we're really like trying to look at, you know, as you say, instead of life hacks, like how do we come together and create whole new systems that work better for us and think way outside the box um, about how to run families and how to live our lives and all, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, a lot of that, a lot of stuff that go like a lot. Yeah, like a lot of it starts at home. Like they're always there's I, like I've seen it just always like those roles that people are supposed to go to when they start families. And why can't we, you know, change those a little bit, you know, change them with time with, you know, with, you know, the new society, the way society is changing. Why can't we, you know, augment those a little bit to, you know, work together so, you know, certain people aren't left with the brunt of other things just because another person's doing something else in the family? Yeah, I think, you know, um, I think a lot of um, mothers in America have really been sold on the idea that the dream is the nuclear family, that like if you partner up and you, um, you know, have kids in that structure, like your life is going to work out. But I really want to challenge that idea um, that that's like the best way to live our lives. Like for most of human history, we've lived with extended families and we've had a lot of different kinds of family and support around. We didn't live in such isolation. And I think pressures, the economic pressures and the social pressures are just becoming more and more intense. And so um, this season we're featuring a transgender parent who lives in a co-housing community. Um, we're, uh, we've followed some, we've uh, talked to some really um, unconventional families in Canada, two uh, queer parents who are not a couple who are raising their kids, who came together to have children and two women who are not romantically involved, who are raising a special needs child together. You know, these different kinds of family arrangements are happening more and more, and I think we can learn a lot from them. You know, what's what sort of the things that you've been learning uh, doing doing these interviews, doing these pieces with these different types of parents? You know, what's some, some of the things that really kind of uh, you were able to learn about, you know, not just with yourself, but, you know, just, you know, being moms or being a parent in general? 
So um, I think the thing that has come through to me for me so strongly is the value of community. And, um, you know, American society is very individualistic and, you know, it's all about what you can figure out for yourself and what you can accomplish for yourself and how well you make your life work. But I think um, communities are really key, I think, for so many people and especially a lot of working mothers in like making our lives what we want them. And, you know, I think there's a sense that it's, you can, there is a lot you can do on your own, but it's hard and it's much better and more fun to do things in with support and in community. Um, and so I've been thinking about that a lot as my own family expands. Like I have a four year old and I'm pregnant with twins. And so our sort of family life is going to change a lot. And, you know, one of the things like, you know, my life scenario isn't that exciting. I mean, like, I don't think my life scenario would hack it for an episode of the double shift in terms of like, the most interesting things ever. But like, (laughs) I'm, I'm married to a man. And, um, you know, we live in a single family house. So you know, it's kind of boring stuff. But, um, but, you know, we do have um, my mother-in-law lives five blocks away. My parents live 20 minutes away. And like, we're really counting on them as part of our community as our family grows. And like, I really feel like it's important to, you know, we tell a lot of times we tell moms like what they need to do to prepare for a baby is like, you know, pick out a bunch of strollers and baby registry things. But like what you really need is help. And so, <laughs> right. <laughs> and so I've been much more focused on like all sorts of community elements of help and how we're going to make that work. And so, and now I'm like, oh, I guess we do need to get the babies like some clothes, but <laughs> I'm much more focused on like all the different sort of community support we can tap into. Um, because that basically I think is the key to happiness. In this sort of society where even as adults, a lot of us have to, you know, there's a lot of people that have to have like multiple gigs or multiple Mm -hmm. streams of income, stuff like that. And I know that can, you know, be very hard for the moms, but from, from being a mom's perspective, raising a child, you know, what's your thoughts about, you know, the child being, you know, in like multiple different sort of classes and activities and stuff like that outside of the regular schooling, you know, when you think about even as adults, we all have to have like multiple like streams of income or artistry or something. Yeah. I mean, so, um, there's been some really interesting articles and research on this kind of like, what is this kind of hyper intensive parenting? Like the idea that, you can't be a good parent unless your kid is enrolled in X number of lessons and that your weekends are full of shuttling them to soccer games and gymnastics. And And it's always um, chaos, you know, just going from one thing to another. And then your, you know, your family's mad at you, your friends are mad at you. And then you're like, well, that's just being a mother. Right. And also, and I think in some ways, like, when you, uh, you know, for two parents that work full time and then they have these huge amounts of commitments on their free time, that actually cuts down on your ability to forge meaningful community and connections with people. If you're just like, okay, we're at soccer for 45 minutes. We've got to race now to the other kid's violin lesson. Like that doesn't really create like relaxed environments for you to 
really get to know your down the street neighbors who you could have like a really good relationship with who could help you out in a childcare pinch. Like you're, you know, we're so busy and overscheduled. Um, and so unfortunately like social norms are really pushing towards that kind of parenting. But so far the data shows that like that kind of parenting isn't better. It's not making like happier or more productive children who turn into more happier and more productive adults. Like it basically, the only thing it definitely does is succeed in like making mothers miserable. <laughs> so, <laughs> and maybe so, even the kids too. They're like, yeah. I gotta go all this shit. Right. And I think, you know, there's the sense of like, well, if we don't start them, you know, if we don't start them at soccer at five, then they won't get on the traveling team when they're nine and then they won't get to play in high school. And then, you know, what about their college applications? Like there's all these sorts of auxiliary pressures. And, you know, I think a lot of that is really socially driven and not really driven. Like it's not outcome driven. Like we're not that we're not necessarily going to like be happier or make our kids have better lives by doing that. So I just like, really don't like to sign my son up for anything. <laughs> He's only four, but, right. but you know, like people sign their four year olds up for a lot of stuff. Oh, and, yeah. and I'm, I'm very like hesitant to really do that. And, um, you know, I'm very weary of the idea of spending our whole weekend, like, you know, going to as he gets older and our other children are born and get older like going to various like events like kids events all the time like I that like that doesn't that doesn't sound like a fulfilling family life and I think like mothers aren't supposed to say that they're not allowed to say that they're supposed to say like whatever is great for the kid whatever the kid wants to do I want to do I don't feel that way and that's not really the message of the double shift either (laughs) right and as someone like me who I don't even know if I really ever want to have kids. I don't have kids now. I don't know. It's things like that that, like, don't make it, like, a good idea to me. I'm like, I don't know if I want to do all those things, you know, that a kid that I see uh, my 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 friends who have families be doing all the time. I'm like, I don't know if I want to do all those things that often, you know. Yeah. So, so I think, yeah, like you said, it's something that women can't say but I feel like a lot of women feel that way and if they do say it you know a lot of people look down upon them uh for saying certain things like that well I think you know because we live in such an individualistic society you're supposed to always like and we live in such a child-centric society you're always it's not it's considered you know sort of tabooed the idea of putting anything but the child's desires first, even in front of the desires of like a, make, having a happy family. And so I really am all about sort of trying to challenge some of those stereotypes and challenge some of those social norms. Um, and I think like, you know, presenting people with a lot of different ways to mother and a lot of different ways to think about mothering is like an important part of that. I I remember reading some things, some uh, reports in the past where it was like, if you want to have a happy relationship with your significant other, have a happy marriage, you can't, you know, make your children your top priority. You have to make your uh, relationship with your partner the top priority. And then it basically just trickles down to where you have a good relationship as a mother or father, you know, is that something that you've, uh, you've heard before? Yeah, definitely. I went to a really great therapist for a while and she said that her 
you know, what she would tell her clients was like the hierarchy was like, first you have to take care of yourself and then you need to invest in your relationship with your partner and then comes your children. And she said that people like really pushed back on her and said like, that is the wrong priority. It should be opposite. And, um, you know, she's like, well, I'm the therapist. Um, so, you know, like she's that, you know, I think from, there's a lot of, I think ideas and research that, um, you know, we can't, we can't give as much to our children if we're so depleted as humans. Yeah. And, I, to me, I understand that thinking, but it's crazy how, like, if you say that you're going to put your child beneath your relationship, that all automatically means to some people that you're just going to ignore your child or something. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I'm definitely um, all for, uh, you know, <laughs> suggesting subversive ideas about motherhood. So I have no problem saying it. <laughs> What are some, you know, what are some things that you've gathered during this time investigating motherhood that in general you would you would just say, you know what, mothers don't really need to be doing this? Hmm, that's a good question. I think um you know, so uh a topic that I'm really excited that we're going to tackle later in this season is really about the mental load on mothers. And this is something that you, I hear about a lot from mothers, this idea that there's just so many things to take care of and remember. And, you know, um, like that it sort of all comes down to the mother to sort of remember this like incredibly long list of, you know, not just to do's, but sort of like these sort of more emotional, intuitive things, like the right kinds of gifts or writing thank you notes or, Um, you know, thinking about, you know, how involved are you in the PTA and whether or not that level of involvement is appropriate or you should be doing more and like all these things that just sort of pile up and pile up. And, um, I definitely think that there's, um, you know, I think that there's a lot, like, I truly believe like women are not born like coming out of the womb, like better at sorting laundry. It's like that sort of like (laughs) socially conditioned to like believe that that's our responsibility basically. Um, So I really think that a lot of the mental load stuff is a lot of like judgment that we feel like if we don't do this, if our kid isn't wearing the right thing for picture day or, you know, we don't get the right teacher appreciation gift, other people are going to judge us. (laughs) So, um, And I think that this factors a lot into like mom guilt, this idea of mom guilt. So I'm very interested in sort of like challenging whether or not that stuff is really like, you know, that's whether or not we need to be spending our time and energy on those kinds of thoughts and like challenging where they come from and why we feel it's our responsibility. Like I think men, I think, are doing more and more of the of parenting like more than they've ever done in American history. But I think a lot of these kinds of emotional questions and these lists and these to do's like men just don't care as much because they're not judged for doing them or not doing them. So I'm very interested in like trying to like free mothers of, of, you know, self judgment and also letting them not be so influenced by society's judgment. What's your, you know, thoughts about mothers, voicing their concerns about you know those mental loads or physical loads in relationships like saying that like 
hey, I'm doing all this stuff. Maybe it'd be nice if somebody cooked for me once, you know, or did this for once. You know, what's your thoughts about, you know, the women, the mothers, you know, the, the, the those caregivers sort of voicing their concerns? Well, I mean, I think it's about it's about a lot more than like I wish someone would do this for me for once. I think it's a lot about like trying to think equitably about like a whole a host of things that need to be done and not sort of making it so mothers are responsible for thinking of everything and then fathers like chip in on a few tasks and like help out here and there, but really trying to create like much more equitable partnerships. And like, I think some dad, some dads are really down to do that. And I think some dads really take advantage and like coast on the fact that they haven't had to do that in the past <laughs> and that, <laughs> that their lives still work and function without them doing that. So, um, you know, it's obviously a spectrum, but, um, I mean, I think it's exciting, but I think like we're having these kind of conversations are much more sort of live and present and exciting than I think they've ever been. And I think like mothers are much more, um, you know, I, I think it's really the first time in, modern American history where we're having these serious discussions, it's just always fallen to women. And so I think this renegotiation is exciting. And I think it's a, it's a very exciting time to be a journalist and it's exciting time to be trying to like chart what the social change is that's happening. Do you, you know, at this point, do you feel like there is, do you feel like men have to be a part of this conversation? Do you feel like men are having a hard time being a part of this conversation, even if they are open to wanting to, you know, level these playing fields, have a better relationship, have a better relationship with their community? You know, how, how do the men's, um, what's the men's role into this sort of progression? Yeah, I definitely think men have a huge role to play in these conversations and a huge opportunity to step up in different ways. And I think that can manifest in a lot of different things. Like there's um, a bunch of sort of more prominent men who are advocating for more paid family leave, which I think is really important. And I think, you know, men still have more power in our workplaces. So men advocating for more paid family leave um, on, you know, both from our legislature, you know, both from the government and in companies is really important because that has mostly always fallen to women and seen as a women's issue. But of course, it's not. Um, and so I think men definitely have a role both being in allies and also like stepping up in their own relationships. Um, I think that there is I do think people do have issues in relationships. Um, there's a term that I think is really interesting and telling called maternal gatekeeping, which is basically the idea of like that mothers keep fathers away from certain tasks because they're like either don't want them to do it or feel that they're not going to do it well or that they're incompetent in some way or that this is their job and that they don't want anyone to sort of bother them. And I think that that yeah, that's what we grew up on TV watching. That was <laughs> right. That was the oh, trope on every happened. sitcom. Right. right. Oh, that silly dad. He doesn't know how to do anything except mow the lawn. He's going to mess everything up. I'm just going to do it myself. So like that's like men uh, men can like men can be just as good at changing diapers and, you know, ordering uh, formula online and, you know, learning how to swaddle and all that <laughs> stuff. Like men are not like inherently unable to learn that. 
um, it's often that they're not really given the time and the chance and the space to learn that. So, um, so I just think like, you know, it's just a really, I think that, um, there's also a lot of times mothers, I think don't let fathers do that because they're worried they're going to be judged if things are done wrong or that, that, you know, they feel so much pressure. So I think like, it's not just like men need to step up. I think like there needs to be a large renegotiation between men and women. And and that also means women have to change as well. Yeah. A lot of men be like, okay, if I mess this up and I'll have held to pay from the old lady. Right. I might as well never try again because <laughs> I did it wrong that one time. Yeah. Right. So yeah, women, you know, should definitely, make it you know easy for if men do need help or do need do mess up doing that task that they can just talk it out and they can do it right the next time right and it's not just like okay well you're never allowed to pack another lunch for the next 12 years like that's not really the like solution (laughs) um and you know a lot of this stems from the fact that we don't have good paid family leave and that most a lot of men don't have like adequate paternity leave because if it sort of starts from when a baby is born because if men just like never learn how to take care of their kids like that actually affects their kids whole lives like men who take real paternity leave actually have a closer more involved relationship with their kid at age 6 so it's like it has like a huge effect on the kid's whole life because like men, like how are you supposed to learn something if you never get the chance to try it or practice? You know, that's just part of like one of the, one of society's failures around family leave. Yeah. On the first season of double shift, you know, you also documented your own journey about doing this podcast, trying to get it up off the ground. You were very emotional about it on the uh, podcast and, you know, kind of looking back to, you know, getting this podcast off the ground, having the first season, going into the second season, you're, sort of what's your thoughts about that journey? Well, it's interesting. You know, I think about where the show is now, and I'm really, like, it has not been an easy road to make this show, um, but I think the show is much better than if I had done it sort of um, in partnership with a prestigious um, podcast network or sort of gone a corporate route to do it. Like, I think that the show is much more like punk rock and revolutionary and visionary because yeah. like I didn't have to answer to those kinds of people. Um, and I'm, so I'm very proud of what the show is. Um, and it's certainly at the time and it would have been easier to make the show <laughs> with more <laughs> financial support and like more resources and, not having to do absolutely everything myself um, in terms of figuring out, you know, not just making the podcast, but like publicity and marketing and the website and the social media strategy. Like, you know, a podcast is, you know, becoming really a multimedia operation. And, you know, we're, we compete against basically, I think our, think of our competitors as people who have, you know, 10 times the budget that we do. So in terms of like quality and content. So, Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm proud of where we are and I feel like, um, I feel like the show is better because we went a more independent route. Um, but certainly, you know, it definitely wasn't easy and I definitely don't feel like, um, I definitely, uh, I don't feel like it should be such a hurdle for people and mothers to like 
have to go through so much of that to get something done. Um, you know, I feel like I wish that we lived in a world that was more receptive to um, different ideas about motherhood. Because, like, not everybody can can bring those ideas out or has the resources to make something like this happen. Yeah, and on the first season, you had a few episodes where you're talking about, you know, women who work in brothels being parents. Then you had the the woman with the the child care in, in Vegas. This is, you know, this is a topic of parenting where like sex work and sexuality is close by to these, mm -hmm. to these mothers sort of, what was sort of the idea of, you know, bringing these topics to light? Well, I think that, um, you know, I really wanted to tell stories that you, people hadn't heard before about motherhood. And I think that the idea of, um, sex workers as mothers is just not a very well explored idea. And I think there's tons of stigma and misconception about it. And yeah. so I'm all about telling those stories. And I think, you know, if you listen to that episode, I think you will hear a lot. I think that people heard a lot of relatability from those mothers about their concerns and their experiences and their hopes for their kids that I think are very relatable to basically anyone. So, you know, the idea that certain people are good or bad based on their professions or there's right or wrong things to do as a mother, like we really want to challenge those ideas. And um, we have an episode in the second season that I think is going to similarly, similarly challenge people. Um, it's about a woman who doesn't who does not have custody of her children. And I think that's another like super taboo idea that like you must be a bad mother if you don't have custody of your your kids and there's not really a way to be a good mother or, f or fulfilled mother if you're, you know, not a custodial mother. And so, you know, we, we continue to want to push on those different ideas of, of, of challenging what is a good mother and, and how we see and how society sees mothers. And it was great that like with those, ep those episodes, and I think this is something you kind of touch on everywhere is that what these, what these mothers do for a living have all these transferable skills to being a mother and then also, you know, switching careers. Like, like many of the, like, I think many of the women that were in the brothel would go on to be nurses and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. A lot of them are interested in going into nursing, which is like so fascinating when you think about caretaking and caregiving and anticipating people's needs and you know, it's, it, it's, it was fascinating. A lot of them were, in school at the same time to become nurses. So, um, it's just, it's just a world, you know, that I knew very little about. And I think a lot of people don't know much about that I really thought was worth highlighting. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think if you're in a, in a industry, like being in a brothel where you're taking care of a lot of people's needs and, but also setting boundaries, those are sort of, uh, very transferable skills to becoming a mother. Right. Totally. I think that the care, the caregiving aspect, um, is like, yeah, I think it's, it's a lot closer than people would like to think. <laughs> <laughs> so what has been the, what has been the, the, the output, the, the response that you received from listeners when they go through and listen to all these different stories you know, what's some of the things that you've been su surprised about? 
So um, I love hearing from listeners and I love getting responses from listeners. And I think um, I think one of my favorite. Um, so it is always really interesting what people really like latch on to and what people bring up to you as really meaningful to them. Um, and one episode that people bring up to me a lot is our third episode called um, The Candidate Who Carpools. And it was about this mom with three little kids who ran for office. She was a first time candidate. She ran for office in North Carolina. She lives about an, about an hour from me. And, um, people found like sort of how, how she was living her life. Um, so relatable. And it was, it was a great story. Like I followed her around as she was campaigning and I was with her on election night when she won, um, which was really, I think fun and satisfying, but, there's this moment in the story where we're doing our interview and her daughter got left at ballet by the babysitter accidentally, like while the interview is going on. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and, and like mothers, literally mothers across the country have brought up this moment to me as being like, that was so real. And like, they felt so like seen by that moment, but yeah. you know, and a lot of times when we're doing interviews with people, you know, we're always trying to put on a good face and like, you know, she, she certainly didn't like wasn't excited that we were capturing this moment of her. Well, like, I'm so glad that you kept it left. in. Yeah. I'm so glad right. that you you kept it into yeah. the to the episode. Yeah. Like you said, people were able to relate to that, and that's a relatable thing. Right, and it's so funny because people, you know, people were like, "Oh, I'm so glad you kept." It. You know, people have had that reaction. I was like, "Oh my god, we were like." get the mic closer so we can get all the details like we like that is the real life we want to capture um so but people felt so grateful for that moment and that probably that moment probably is the single most like brought up to me moment of the whole first season um and and in some ways like you can't anticipate that or script that that's not just like we asked the best question it was more that we just spent enough time with her that we got a moment like that do you um do you get ever get anybody who's not an a par- not a parent or men who's who are not even parents like uh, giving you any sort of feedback about the the show? Yeah, well, we definitely have. I think our you know our majority of our listeners are moms, but we definitely have a lot of women who are not moms but are interested in becoming moms or they want to relate better to their friends that are moms and they want to understand the experience more. And we definitely have um, listeners who are men and we've gotten great feedback from them as well. And like I I think it's a sign of it being a good show that people find the stories like really exciting and relatable even if they're not the target demographic. Um, And so like, for example, you um, who's interested in the show, who is not the target demographic. And I think that that's very flattering because um, I think it speaks to the idea that these, you know, like I think we should all listen to stories that are different from our own life experiences. So it speaks to the idea that the stories are compelling to a wide variety of people. Yeah. I think what I, personally gravitated towards you know even when I first heard you um it was that okay recently you know I I'm in the process or you know I guess you would say that of coming out as queer and also non-binary and what 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 I like about listening to podcasts like yours is that it helps me sort of learn and understand more the sort of like female energy that I have within me. And while I'm trying to balance, you know, the male and female energy that I feel 
when, you know, what I identify with. So I like hearing these stories because it just kind of helps me identify and kind of embrace that side of me. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think people should always be, I think we, our society could benefit a lot from people being open-minded to people's experiences that are different from ours or like what we can relate to in ourselves, even if it isn't our direct life experience. Um, and I think like, yeah. And I think like, to me, that's why I want to do a show like this. Cause I feel like, you know, we live in such a polarized world and a very hostile world. And I basically feel like storytelling is the only thing that changes anybody's mind. <laughs> um, and so, um, and that is only, is the only thing that really like can get into people's hearts is storytelling. And so that's to me is like why I wanted to do a podcast and like why I find journalism so compelling. Cause I think that that really can have a powerful impact in the way that arguing with someone or trying to teach someone something doesn't always work, you know? Outside of doing the double shift, has there been anything else that you've been working on aside from having uh, twins? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the double shift takes up a lot of my time. Um, I um, have planned the... um, so we did a tour. We did a bit of a um, like a live tour called the. I don't. Can I swear in this? Yeah, podcast? go ahead. Um, so it was called the Fuck Mom Guilt World Tour, and so that was super fun. And we did like live events, and I really enjoyed that. And I hope to sort of get back to that. Um, I took some time off from that with this pregnancy and decided to sort of focus more on being at home and um, making the show rather than traveling around a lot. Um, but I, that was really fun. I hope to pick that back up and I, um, I really want to write a book next year or I want to at least get a book going next year. So that's definitely something on my, on my mind. All right. That's, that's good. That's good. Yeah. As we, uh, you know, sort of wind things down, um, I always, I always like asking this question is like, what sort of a nugget of knowledge from your own life could anybody listening to this doesn't matter what you know avenue of artistry or whatever they do you know can sort of project into their own lives um well so i feel like uh the highest calling of a journalist is to challenge the status quo and um you know i think there's some amazing journalists who do that today unfortunately i don't know if journalism journalism is a profession that's under fire and so i don't know if all journalists um, do that all the time. But I think that, you know, something that people who are following any path can think about are like, what are the questions we can ask that challenge the status quo? What is the kind of art that we can produce that challenges the status quo? Or um, what are the conversations and the way we can live our lives that challenge the status quo? And I think that that is like a very powerful, um, a powerful idea that isn't just about being contrarian, but really about holding power to account. That's great. That's great. And um, I also like to end my uh, interviews with asking the same question. And that question is, you know, who's somebody that you would recommend that I have on this podcast um, that would have some great stories or some lessons to talk about? It can be one person or multiple people. You know, um, one of my um, favorite uh, guests on The Double Shift was who I feel like should just like she should just like 
be on a media circuit and give interviews all the time, is um, this woman named Angelica Lindsay Ali, who also goes by um, her her project name is the Village Auntie, and she is a um, she is a Muslim sex educator um, and a mother of four, and she just has like such amazing insights into thinking about. Um, bodies and pleasure and she's very informed by her religious tradition but incredibly um, sort of open-minded in thinking about um, all sorts of different kinds of sexuality and the power of sexuality and I think our, our listeners really resonated with it and I think different different people could have all sorts of different kinds of conversations with her that aren't just about motherhood yeah I enjoyed that uh, episode yeah so she's um she's a great person that uh that I think um, I think she needs I think she needs a book contract and a speaking tour personally. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 Catherine, it's been great talking with you. It's been enjoyed with talking with you. So much great information uh, you you got to share with us. Uh, where can uh, people go online to get more information about you, the podcast, and anything else that you're working on? Sure. Yeah. So definitely, you can download the Double Shift wherever you get your podcasts. Um, you can follow the double shift on Instagram is like a good happening place. It's at the double shift. You can follow me on Twitter at K G E E E. Um, and also if you believe in the mission of the show, you can become a member of the double shift. Our membership starts at $5 a month and it's very, um, helpful and important in our ability to make the show. So that's another uh, way you can support our work. Yeah. With the, um, yeah, with the, the membership, uh, what do people get anything when, or access to anything? Yes. So, um, what we're, we're, we're doing a bunch of, um, most of our episodes members get, um, bonus content. So if you know, there's an episode that you really loved, we'll have like an extended portion of the interview. Um, or we also have some behind the scenes content that we release to members. Um, so it's, it's right now it's really aimed at people who love podcast listening and want like just more of the double shift. Um, but we're also trying out, um, we're going to try out a Google, not a Google hangout. I think we're going to do it as a zoom. Um, but a video conference for members only to talk about the show and sort of try to create some community around that. And, um, I hope, you know, other things, uh, other things I hope in the future, but, you know, as since we're just sort of getting started, I like have wanted to, um, give members something really great, but also stuff that I can deliver. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. so, um, as a very small show, but, um, I, I think that some of the bonus content um, is really fun, and it's a, it's also just a great way to, you know, support the feminist mission of the show. All right, great, yeah, great talking with you, and um, you know, good luck with everything with the show and those uh, those two babies that are in your belly right now. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. So that was my interview with Catherine Goldstein of the podcast, The Double Shift. Uh, you can go to the show notes for this episode at freshofthepodcast.com and there'll be links to where you can follow Catherine Goldstein and the Double Shift online. Go to thedoubleshift.com to uh, check out all the episodes. Uh, by the time this airs, uh, we should there should be like one more episode for season two going out. Um, but like I said, it's, it was a great talking with her and there's been so much great information in this interview and during the two seasons of the double shift. So thank you for listening. And before we get out of here, 
I just want to remind you that if you go to the freshpodcast.com, uh, there's a link at the top that says support the podcast. And there's many ways that you can support the podcast. You can donate through PayPal. Uh, you can donate through Patreon at patreon.com slash fresh is the word. Also, there's ways that you can help the show without, you know, if you don't have, don't want to spend any money, uh, you can go to freshofthepodcast.com and just share any of the links to any of the episodes on your social media. Rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else that you can rate and review some a podcast that, you know, Fresh of the Word is on and we're pretty much everywhere. Uh, you can... If you see one, if you see a post about any of the episodes on Fresh of the Word, of Fresh of the Word, and anything, you know, comment, like it, share it. There, there's so many, just you know, spread the word if you can. Um, got a lot of cool stuff coming up. I'm like, I have so many interviews in the bag that I'm trying to push them all out by the end of the year. So there's going to be a lot of content coming up for the rest of uh, December, and then maybe I'll take a little break in January. We'll see. But uh, thanks again for listening to Fresh is the Word. And a reminder that I got two other podcasts, the music podcast, Breaking Records, and then also the Detroit Music History podcast, Renaissance Soul. So check those out also. All right. Thank you for listening. I very much appreciate it. Goodbye and good night. Fresh is the Word.